I don't think we're going to spend or even have a whole lot of time on the episode, but, you know, God bless America. Uh, we finally did it. We impeached Donald Trump. Um, he's not the president anymore. Victory. Victory. Everybody's taking a victory lap. Nancy Pelosi ripped up his speech. Ripped his presidency the, in half. Oh, my God. The final humiliation before he's escorted off the White House grounds. So Hillary becomes president now. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's so. That's the law. Yeah, that's pretty much what they've been promising the whole time. Our national nightmare is over. Yeah. Finally. There was always that uh, sort of like lib conspiracy theory where it was like, yeah, we'll impeach Donald Trump and Mike Pence at the same time, and they'll both leave office, and then Nancy Pelosi will become president, and she'll appoint Hillary to be her vice president, and then resign, and Hillary will finally step into office, but... She'll commit seppuku (laughs) at the inauguration (laughs) in in, in fealty. Nancy Pelosi, (laughs) like, burning herself to death like one of the the Buddhist monks during Vietnam. (laughs) Dawn of the new era. (laughs) And finally, I can go back to brunch. <laughs> oh man, what a shit show though. Oh, I mean, pour the mimosas. Just an absolute clown show, the whole thing. And I felt like hardly anybody even commented on the impeachment. Like when the when the vote went down, everyone was like, "Well, yep, everyone knew that was going to happen." Okay, you know. Let's... Uh, I'm sorry. Did you not see Mitt Romney saved America with <laughs> right. his with his vote, dude? <laughs> Talk about the important news stories. I mean, come on. Jennifer Rubin was out there like, you know, between Nancy Pelosi and Mitt Romney, I feel like America's finally back on track. It's like, what? (laughs) What track? (laughs) Where where is it headed? It's the track from the trolley problem where, uh, (laughs) right, (laughs) right, we just we just pulled the lever. So now it's going to run over maybe one person instead of five. (laughs) We got so many powerful Washington insiders, you know, on our side now. We got leftist radicals like, you know, Mitt Romney, John Bolton, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Lev Parnas, uh, who's that? Michael Cohen. You know, it's it's really the left is stronger than ever, is what I'm saying. Trump is out there retweeting videos that are calling uh, Mitt Romney like a secret Democrat sleeper agent. That like, you know, the insinuation being that he threw the uh, 2012 election. So that Barack Hussein Obama could continue to, you know, run this country into the ground. Well, did you see that Trump tore into Romney at the National Prayer Breakfast this morning? <laughs> the Prayer Breakfast? <laughs> Just completely tore yeah, Romney a new the one. The Prayer Breakfast theme was uh, Love Thy Enemy. And, it, it, like, everybody else spoke on that and... Donald Trump went up and just tore into literally everybody who's ever slighted him, or at least in the past week. He held it back at the State of the Union, but he can only hold it back for so long. And sometimes, you know, at the prayer breakfast, you got to just be like, love your enemy. Are you kidding me with this bullshit? (laughs) I've never heard anything so stupid in my whole life. Hello and welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges, joined as ever by my excellent comrade and co-host in Omaha, Nebraska, Brendan Williams. Brendan, how's it going up there? Matt, I am honored to present to you at this time the podcast Medal of Freedom. Oh, brilliant. You are being crowned the Rush Limbaugh of the left. <laughs> this great honor is, is bestowed upon you. Congratulations. Man, I need to... 
I need to get a trendy opioid addiction. <laughs> start, start popping those oxys. That's that is all the rage right now. We've got lots to talk about tonight, and uh, it had been a while since we've done anything from uh, from the Windy City. So we brought on a special guest tonight, uh, first time appearance on our show. We've got Jay from Chicago, otherwise known as Eugene V Dabs on Twitter. Hello, Jay. Hey, how's it going? Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. From the Windy City where it is uh, it is quite windy. Uh, it is snowing. It is cold. Uh, it is all around miserable yeah. uh, out here. Yeah, we were talking about that. It was maybe 70 degrees here on Monday. And by Wednesday, it was sleeting and like in the upper 20s, which is it's a pretty dramatic shift for, for Texas. Yeah, it is, uh, it is quite awful out here. Freezing rain, sleet. The whole, the whole deal. Yeah, the, fun. the gamut of Chicago weather. Uh, a friend of mine uh, in Kansas City was at the Super Bowl parade, and it just looked fucking miserable out there. It was like gray and like twenty-two degrees or something. I forgot the Super Bowl happened. That was wild. Mm, mm-hmm. Midwest rep- representing up in there. Yeah, are we? Are we happy that the Chiefs won? Are we? Is this a Chiefs podcast? I mean, it's like the closest team to. To Omaha, so you know everyone's a bandwagon fan up in here. My dad hilariously put out a. Fl- I think he went to the store and bought a Chiefs flag like the day of the Super Bowl. <laughs> of course he did, <laughs> as a, as a true fan does, because you want it to be crisp. You know, you want those fold marks on it, right? <laughs> oh, he so, didn't even iron it. <laughs> no, so just, no, everybody no. on his street knew that he just bought that like yesterday. Straight out the plastic bag onto the pole. That's how you do it up here. Well, this is like when the Democrats were all passing around that same trans pride flag uh, for all of their photo <laughs> oh, yeah, ops. That's right. <laughs> it's it's a particular pride to us in the Great Plains that uh, the team that won the Super Bowl is the one that uh, still does the the racist hand motion and chant uh, that's gotten other teams like suspended from the NCAA. <laughs> you know, it's called tradition. Maybe you uh, city slickers wouldn't understand it. It's uh, it's all part of the real America out here. We just love to uh, appropriate Native American cultures and ruin elections. That's yeah, our- <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, how is it that arguably the largest sporting event in the country happens the day before one of the most important political events in the country? By which I mean, of course, the Iowa primary, the the Iowa caucuses, probably what we'll spend the rest of this this segment on. I don't know how that how like it's scheduled that way. Maybe they're both always like it's always the first Sunday in February and the first Monday in February. So some years it wouldn't match up. Like once every seven yeah, years, I it think wouldn't match uh, up. the most likely explanation is just like political nerds that set this up were like, oh, the Super Bowl. I I wasn't really thinking about that. <laughs> Genius boost. Yeah, totally. I mean, the the timeline was really interesting while the game was going on because, like, maybe a third of the people I follow were kind of commenting about the game, and the rest of them were all in Iowa, like on the ground doing door knocking and <laughs> preparing for the caucuses, or talking about like raising money for Bernie or hanging door hangers or whatever. Uh, and everyone in in Iowa was uh, presumably more interested in the game than in talking about Bernie Sanders. Yeah, it is always mind boggling to me, especially as someone who, uh, you know, tries to keep up with the the news and the primary and all that to see people like uh, this lady who voted for Pete Buttigieg and then someone on the way out the door was like, 
that's cool that you voted for uh, the the first gay uh, president ever. And she was like, excuse me, what? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was so uh, what? sad. <laughs> the level of information that even the people who are so engaged that they're going to like go sit in a in a high school gymnasium for like four yeah. and a half hours to go through this political process still are not even well informed about the candidates, who they are, what they stand for. It's crazy. As far as that lady went, um, she was wearing a bunch of, like, Amy buttons and things. So I think maybe the story with her was she was one of those, uh, like, the second round people. And then when Amy didn't hit the the viability threshold, then they convinced her to come over to Pete. And so she signed her card and handed it over. And then she was like, oh, wait, what? What'd you say? Gay? Gay mayor? What? No, I'm I'm not okay with that. Let's give it up for the caucus system. I mean, the caucus system, it's like ranked choice voting, but in between each round, you get into almost fist fights with the, <laughs> the people sitting next to you, <laughs> which is just a great this process. Is, did, we, did we inherit this from like the Vikings or something? I mean, that, that seems like a thing you would have seen like a Viking longhouse. They do it on Gilmore Girls, you know, all the time. They're they're always going to – and there are people who are like, that looks so fun and quirky. We should we should do that. We're recording this. This is a Thursday night, uh, February the 6th. So we are – Week three fully, of the Iowa caucus. Yeah, right. Fully three days removed from the Iowa caucus. And we still don't know who officially won. No, it's um, no, it's Pete Buttigieg. Did you hear? It's it is Pete. I think they got one hundred percent in, and they're and they're saying uh, Mayor Pete. Yeah, Mayor Pete is saying that. Yeah, Ma- Mayor Pete definitely has been saying that. Um, I was following some stuff right before we started recording, where somebody's looking at the ways that things have gotten reported, and they think some of the like fractional state delegate equivalents got misallocated, and like at the end of the day, it still looks like Bernie Sanders won the. Won the popular vote by several thousand votes, but is still going to either tie or be like one pledge delegate behind Mayor Pete or something like that. Really something that I think um, encourages a lot of confidence and excitement in the Democratic voting base. The way that they, you know, and and they say like, oh, part of the problem is because we we change the way – that we report the results and we're reporting three different rounds of results and transmutations of the numbers through uh, various arcane rituals. The actual math that they do to figure out how many votes were cast to how many delegates actually go to the convention, it's like something out of the Kabbalah or something. It's like I think at some point you do have to sacrifice a four-legged animal. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, and then yeah. you and then you flip a coin and then you see who gets. But like, yeah, the, the way that it's done is just so... There's like, what, over 1,500 different caucus events, and then there's satellite caucus events, and there's all this stuff. But part of the problem in 2016, this this happened in 2016 as well, although not to this extent, because there was all kinds of like, they were like, oh, it's too close to call. Um, you know, it ended up being like less than a percent or a little less than 2% when right. they finally, you know, reported all the final results. But there was always a little bit of a question because you had all these people saying, well, the results that I like wrote down and when I like texted my friends after I got done with the caucus and they said, here's the final results. And then I wrote that down and I, and I told people, and then I looked online later and it wasn't the same. They would say, well, the only results that are official results 
is like the end result. Mm -hmm. People were like, well, that seems like it's some some bullshit and you could totally just rig this thing because you're only reporting like three layers deep of the results and not providing the original data. And so now they're providing the first round, the, the, the second round, and then the state delegate equivalents, which is just so ridiculous. Yeah. But now people are blaming Bernie for that too, right? Saying like, well, Bernie, because Bernie messed up the election, they made him, he made him go back and do it. And that's why it, it messed up the system so bad where it's like, he didn't make them do that. He just said like, hey, the way that you're doing it is bad. And they said like, you're right. Let's continue to do it bad, but triple the amount of work. <laughs> yeah, right. So so that gets us into the into the tall weeds here a little bit with uh, some of the specific clown showery that, that went <laughs> on with all of this that uh, a lot of people are calling rat fucking. And it's kind of hard to blame them when so the the app that the Iowa Democratic party was using had contracted to report all of these to like the central location where all of the calculations were going to do crashed the night of the caucus and then it came out that uh pete Buttigieg's campaign had done a great deal of funding for this app and then with no official results coming out pete Buttigieg goes on tv and announces you know or goes on Twitter at least and says, you know, it's so great that we won the Iowa caucus on to New Hampshire, you know, and in New Hampshire now he's gotten like a, a nine point bump up from he's in second now where he was in maybe third or fourth before. Um, so, you know, there's a great deal of suspicion on, on the part of Bernie Sanders supporters that if, if the Sanders campaign hadn't had their own, independent app for doing this kind of reporting none of these problems would have cropped up they would have just said uh pete won you know because because that map right. is so exactly. arcane but they but they weren't able to get away with it because the sanders camp was like well uh, that doesn't match what we have that's not even close to what right. we have well and one of the best outcomes that i've heard is that people are saying you know what iowa shouldn't go first anymore because they've they've proved that they they can't handle it. So let's give it right. over to another extremely competent Midwestern governing body uh, that never has been embroiled in any election scandals or anything. Uh, <laughs> Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, <laughs> right? Oh, great. Because <laughs> uh, he was saying like, I think Illinois should go first, and Illinois should do it. Good good idea. Um, you know, on behalf. Of the great state of Illinois, I would have to say our app uh, would be better. <laughs> we, uh, our app would just deliver all of the uh, information straight to where Governor Pritzker uh, keeps uh, his massive vault of coins, Scrooge McDuck style, um, and that would stop all of this rat fuckery from going yeah. on. You know, I think, you know who should run for president? J.B. Pritzker. It's a two for one special. Yeah, Does not? he have, I think he has more money than Bloomberg. He might as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, ne next year, next year with the Illinois, uh, or, you know, next election with the, with the Illinois caucuses uh, getting started up. Oh, does, does Illinois also have to adopt the caucus system? <laughs> I think they should. Like I said, I think they should, because it's fun. Um, it's a fun time, for sure. You only get the most committed uh, uninformed voters at the at the caucuses. Uh, they're really serious about it. Nebraska used to have a caucus, and now this year, this is going to be the first time that they're using a primary. So I'm excited to not have to sit into a gym for three hours 
so that I could say Bernie Sanders twice. <laughs> yeah, you do enough of that with your kids, right? <laughs> I'm assuming that uh, the Nebraska primary is not using a ranked choice system, though. No, this- I, and I mean, maybe that'll be a benefit of, you know, Iowa. I mean, because like I said, the, this whole caucus thing, it's, it's almost like ranked choice because you go through these rounds of like, Who's your first choice? Who's your second choice? Blah, blah, blah. Right. But instead of just like you doing that in advance and then them tabulating it based on your numbers, you have to sit there the whole time and argue with people about it. Yeah, sure. So they should just switch to ranked choice. And I think maybe if they're going to change the electoral system because this is so bungled that, you know, Maine did it. Uh, I think New York is is going to do it. Yeah, sure. Uh, Michigan uses it for local and state elections, I believe. Michigan or Minnesota, one of the two. I was talking to a friend last night about how a fascinating thing would be to choose uh, like one of the because ranked choice is sort of a general umbrella term. There are a bunch of different ways to calculate that. Um, There's like Condorcet method voting where uh, basically everybody's first choices that are opposed to each other cancel each other out and it goes to the second choice and that's who actually gets the vote. It'd be interesting to do a representative poll if you could poll like a thousand people across Iowa and have them do it in like Condorcet method voting and then say, here's who would win. Yeah. You know, if we used the system, that would be that would be a powerful uh, propaganda tool for changing up the system, because I have a feeling I mean, one of the benefits of doing rank choice or Condorcet or something is that you do end up with more of a consensus candidate. Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, yeah, maybe. If we get him on board, I mean, he's going to be the next president, so he's an important uh, an important ally in the fight for ranked choice voting. And we right, can just say, right. like, hey, apparently it worked for you, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we know for sure, I mean, even with the, the final tallies and whatever, however the state delegate equivalents or the actual pledge delegates get broken out, it looks like uh, Bernie and Mayor Pete basically tied in those. Um, but Bernie was ahead in the popular vote. Uh, which is encouraging going into other states where Mayor Pete has not spent like a quarter of his of his war chest. Our last guest, Jordan Ewell, was saying, uh, get ready for the the Buttigieg versus Biden knife fights. And uh, I think he was right on the money because <laughs> right, right. that is about to go down. And then and then my other uh, kind of positive takeaway from all of this is um, I saw a take that was um, if you look at the like the total votes cast in the Iowa caucuses, it's more or less flat from 2016 or 2014, or or I guess it would have been uh, 2012 at that point. If you look at the actual voter breakdown, uh, the percentage of the vote from the under 45 years of age set went from 36% in 2016 to 45% in 2020. Which means even if the voting levels stayed flat, just the the gross number of votes cast, I think that it's hard to argue that Bernie's grassroots mobilization and activating non you know previous non voters and particularly young people was not just a resounding success, right? Because what happened was lots of young people showed up and lots of old people stayed home, so the gross total stayed about flat, but most of that youth vote ended up going to Bernie. It's almost like an establishment candidate like Biden, you know, can't really drive people to go to the polls for him because yeah. he's not exciting. The, there's a takeaway from from that, and uh, it's a good sign, is that Biden got absolutely smoked in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, wild. press F to pay respects for Joe Biden's presidential hopes. He came in fourth? What? Yeah, him and, him and Klobuchar for fourth and fifth place, right. for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's amazing. I definitely did not anticipate that. You know, I was thinking that this would be closer to a, a uh, Buttigieg and Biden would be swapped. You know, maybe that's what he did on the app. They're both B's. He just did. Maybe Buttigieg is actually like a hex code. That's why his name is so weird uh, that when you put it in the app, it just does a little whoopity swappity do right. uh, with with Biden on the results. It's amazing. Yeah. Right before we started recording, um, the political polls, Twitter uh, posted uh, 538's new projections um, showing uh, this is just odds of winning the Democratic nomination. They've got Sanders at 49%. Biden at 17, Warren at 8, and Buttigieg at 3. Uh, and uh, taking second place is no one at 23%. Well, which, that's a brokered convention, so right. yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. That'll, that'll be fun, for sure. <laughs> we can all rest assured that 538 has never gotten an election prediction wrong in the history of their <laughs> right. website. No, that's true. Uh, um, <laughs> I did. I did, however, like the comment I saw on Twitter that it's like, oh, it turns out they were right when they said that no one could beat Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's enough on the Iowa caucuses. Like I said, we don't even know. I, I'm not sure that it's 100 percent settled yet, even at the time of this recording. So there will probably be more information by the time you're listening to this. So, you know, take no, probably less. There'll probably be less. Yeah, less, <laughs> less information. <laughs> the, the previous information will have been revealed to have been incorrect and uh, we'll actually have less. Information yeah, well, I mean, we remember now. that just a few years ago, what was it? It was like three years or three years, three weeks later that they announced like, no, actually, oh, Rick Santorum won. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that poor man. <laughs> poor Rick Sant- Only the only Iowa could make me feel bad for Rick Santorum. Oh. All right, let's take a little break there. We'll come back. We are now at a point where our campaign is winning the popular initial vote by some 6,000 votes. In other words, some 6,000 more Iowans came out on caucus night to support our candidacy than the candidacy of anyone else. And when 6,000 more people come out for you in an election uh, than your nearest opponent, uh, we here in northern New England call that a victory. Well, like I said earlier on the show, it's been a little while since we did some stuff uh, from, you know, arguably the the biggest and most important of the of the cities in the Great Plains Midwest kind of border region, uh, Chicago. So um, we're really glad that Jay joined us tonight. Um, I I wanted to ask you, Jay. So you said you're a you're a grad student and also a seminary student out there, right? But the but your your area of focus is kind of interesting. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. So uh, I am a uh, getting my master's degree in public theology. Uh, here at a school in the Chicago area. I study um, both labor justice and uh, environmental justice from uh, the faith perspective, uh, primarily a Christian lens. I think it's a fascinating uh, topic. We had uh, Megan Romer, maybe you know her from Twitter, on a a few months ago to talk about a little bit of um, kind of specifically Christian theology uh, as pertains to uh, kind of leftist goals and ideals. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's really cool. And um, one of the things that you mentioned uh, when we were 
when you and I were kind of brainstorming some topics were, were these, uh, were these teacher strikes, um, that happened. And this would have been several months ago there in Chicago, but it looks like, it looks like that actually kind of worked out pretty well for everybody. Yeah, the teachers' strike um, uh, was at the end of October, uh, beginning of November. Uh, it lasted about two weeks, about eleven days of school time, and uh, and essentially resulted in a in a pretty good victory um, for the Chicago Teachers Union and the SEIU Service Employees International Union that had joined with them. Uh, in that fight in trying to make schools that work for all of Chicago's uh, all of Chicago's children. Yeah, I saw that uh, one of the major concessions they got was that um, every one of the public schools is guaranteed to have both an on-staff nurse and a social worker by it was by like the end of 2021 or something like that that they were going to hire. It was like 200, 250 more of each of those professionals so that each of these schools had that resource as well right well maybe they could save money by like getting rid of one of the like six cops that just hang out at the at the school (laughs) all day and that was actually one of the demands i thought that was really was uh yeah less fewer fewer cops in the in the schools was one of the things and i don't think it ever worked out but that was one of the things uh less aggressive policing in the public schools that the union wanted right Less aggressive policing and more along the lines of uh, social support networks. Social services, uh, sort of. yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I remember that. And that Chicago, and I mean, there was tons of uh, ones. I think there was one in like North Carolina and like Nevada and stuff too that they were doing all these uh, strikes. And uh, I, I think in almost every one of them, they ended up getting a lot of what they were asking for. So it just kind of shows like that's an effective way of getting things done. <laughs> yeah, you saw it in uh, you saw it with the the teacher strikes in West Virginia and also Oklahoma. They all they they won contracts that they felt were favorable. Uh, you saw it in Nevada with the uh, strikes from um, I don't remember exactly what the exactly what the category is, but it was like all of the people who work in the hotels and doing the doing the housekeeping and stuff right. like that. Um, went on strike and also got a very favorable contract. And yeah, it's just so encouraging to see this labor solidarity and uh, awareness of of labor power in this country. Uh, and I don't know, dude, what to what do we credit for that? I mean, is it is it Donald Trump? I don't think that things for workers <laughs> have gotten particularly worse under Donald Trump necessarily. You know, is it just did did neoliberal economics finally reach a breaking point and it happened to be on Trump's watch that you saw all of these strikes? Did Trump contribute to that by activating a bunch of people into some political awareness and activism, you know, due to other stuff that he's doing and people started paying more attention? I think I think he did. I think uh, a lot of the teachers here are are very politically aware and most of that came out of the strike that happened in 2012, uh, which was not nearly as much of a victory for them. And they kind of reorganized the whole union after that on the basis of kind of bargaining for the public good. And and we've seen in Trump 
in the Trump era, I think people have had to become more politically aware. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's strange to like give him the credit, but I do think you know something about his campaign. Well, it'd be I mean that's damning with faint praise, not giving him the credit. It's <laughs> right. more, more giving him the blame for it. I just I was I was wondering like does he does he deserve all of the blame for that? Because I mean these bad these bad conditions. I mean. Th- Illinois is a state that's pretty much run by Democrats and always has been, right? right? So it's not like it's not like this was new stuff that happened under Donald Trump. This was stuff that had been going on. You know, the, their their state legislature didn't change from Republican to from Democrat to Republican hands, and that's what activated all these people. No, that's true. Yeah, and I think there might be. You know, I'm I'm hopeful that there can be uh, like a realignment of because you know for so long it was like. Oh, unions are a, are all Democrat things, and you know Republicans are are super anti-union. But um, you know Donald Trump, you know, was is he's the blue collar billionaire or whatever, right? And so he kind of opened the door to say, you know, hey, uh, the forgotten people, you know, of the workers of America or whatever, uh, you know, need some help too and stuff like that. So I think there is a a potential, you know, reawakening. I also just think. The Obama era was notorious for a lot of people just not being super engaged, right? Because they just figured like, oh, well, you know, that I'm sure he'll do some stuff, you know, right? And then he maybe didn't, right? And so right. it kind of languished for a while. People stopped caring about it. Um, and now uh, hopefully people are kind of waking up again to uh, the need to continue to not – kind of rest on your on your laurels and uh, continue to push for for better conditions. Yeah, sure. I mean, Jay made the joke earlier about, you know, we, we can finally go back to brunch, you know, uh, but I, I, I think that there is a bit of a bit of wisdom hidden in, you know, uh, I, this is what Susan Sarandon argued before 2016, right, was that Donald Trump might actually be better for the country than Hillary Clinton. Because Donald Trump would expose all of these deep flaws that run through the society in a way that if Clinton had been elected, there would have been a lot of people who, like you say, Brendan, would have sat on their laurels or or felt very comfortable, you know, especially, you know, well off white liberals would not feel the, the same sort of the same sort of rage about politics, the need to get involved, the hopefully the solidarity with working class and people of color. Um, whereas, you know, under Trump, we there's there's a target. There's a target for that ire. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, it's it's really easy to get people fired up uh, and say like, hey, we're going to go march in the streets and demand our, our rights. You know, it like it's easy because people are already kind of activated where, you know, if Hillary Clinton was in office, people would be like, eh, you know what, like, I'm I'm cool, right? You know? <laughs> right. Uh, I'm sure everything will be fine, uh, and uh, it, it's uh, it's not always the case. But yeah, I think in uh, Illinois, not slowing down because uh, now they're uh, now they're doing weed unions, man. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, Jay, Jay, talk about this this article that you found for us about um, weed workers unionizing. Yeah, we're uh, unionizing everybody. Uh, around here, <laughs> just everyone's getting in on this on this you union, union train. So and now you get a union. <laughs> everyone gets a union. So now that recreational marijuana uh, is is legal uh, here in Illinois, 
we have seen uh, many of the workers uh, who are working in the in the growing, in the processing, uh, in the in the sales, and all of that are voting to unionize. Uh, they're they're unionizing with the uh, UFCW, the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Uh, they're asking for you know higher wages and and lower health care costs and. If you dig into this article, um, there's there's a really interesting reason for why uh, this is going on at these companies, and that's that was the one from the that was the one from the uh, Chicago Tribune from the Tribune. That right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What was that reason? Um. So there are 700 applicants for 75 dispensary licenses that are going to be given out in May in the next round. Yeah of uh, application and those applications all get scored. So one of the things that they get scored on is their labor and employment practices. So if you are applying for one of these dispensary licenses, you can get, you can increase your score by basically going along with your workers demands for uh, unionization and union recognition. Yeah, I think it's amazing, and uh, I mean that stuck out to me from that article too. And it it almost made me want to like go back and have everybody reapply for their business licenses. You know, <laughs> I mean, because because that's that's only going to be a thing that's possible for a new industry that's coming in. And how often does that happen, really? Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the great things is is the unions can get in on really the ground floor of this and and establish these are the standards that we have in this industry and we're not going to back down from that right yeah and i think illinois was also doing like restorative justice stuff and like expungement stuff as as part of the legalization efforts as well so uh hopefully that just becomes the standard going forward yeah and, i think uh, the i think the numbers were in the first uh, in the first 4 weeks they uh they had already done it was like $40 million worth of business, and a decent portion of that goes directly back into the communities for, like, community enhancement programs, um, addressing, you know, I, I assume that means things like, uh, I, I mean, hopefully, like, criminal justice, but also just reinvestment in schools and, uh, like, basic infrastructure and things like that. I don't know. Maybe Jay probably knows more about that. Yeah, that's definitely the idea. And uh, it's been a little bit rocky, but uh, the the idea is that a lot of the money from this is supposed to be reinvested back into the communities. And and the other great thing is, uh, I think it's something like ten or eleven thousand people have have had their um, records expunged or been pardoned for uh, convictions related nice. to marijuana. Uh, Governor Governor Pritzker signed all of those uh, pardons into action, which is a great thing. Yeah. So, so they were were they letting people like out of prison for you know out of out of jail and stuff for low level marijuana offenses and things? Yeah, people are people are getting to go home uh, uh, if they were in prison for if it was only for um, a marijuana conviction. Oh, I'm sure they could find something else. You know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Slap something else on there. It's not too hard. Come on. I mean, we'll take what we can get. It's it's important to keep pushing for other things, but that's that's still an improvement over the status quo. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, there's some sort of, uh, you know, magical Democrat candidate who would legalize weed, have strong union support, you know, want 
redistributive justice and stuff like that. Uh, I, I wish a candidate like that existed. But, yeah, me uh, too. Yeah, I, really, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's kind of that'll a, be the day. That's like promising everybody a pony, Brendan. I, I don't know if uh, if we could ever get a candidate who had all of those traits. You know, you don't hear about uh, Mayor Pete in unions too much. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I was thinking the other day about. Do you remember when he went up to when uh when the United Auto oh, Workers were on strike and he he went out there to walk the picket line with them to show his you know working class bona fides and. Asked a guy on camera, like, so, you know, just out of curiosity, how much money does the strike fund have in it? And the guy just yeah. like, looks how many, how many days can you do this before you <laughs> right. run out of money? Just for no, just, just asking just questions out of here. curiosity. <laughs> Sorry, that's the, that's the business consultant in me coming out there a little bit. Uh, you can take the Pete out of the CIA, but you cannot take the CIA out of the Pete. <laughs> What's his opinion oh, on weed? Boy. Do we know that? Do we know what uh, what Pete thinks about weed? I haven't seen anything on that. Yeah. There, he's This guy's just a uh, a black box of <laughs> policies. I don't know. I'll look it up right now. Pete, here's, here's a headline called Pete Buttigieg's bold stance on marijuana legalization. Okay. He calls it Plan B. No, that's a, that's a different thing, Pete. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem super super clear. Plan A in, includes convincing both parties to legalize. Buttigieg thinks he can convince Congress to pass a bill, but if plan A fails, he would use Air Force 1 to fly around the country and visit lawmakers' hometowns to convince their voters to tell their representatives to support legalization. Man, what the hell? What? <laughs> That's the plan, baby. Uh, I guess, you know, he's saying like, look, uh, as much as uh, I'd love to just make an executive order legalizing weed, I don't feel like that's, uh, uh, you know, that's appropriate procedural uh, steps. Uh, so instead, I'm, I'm going to hold a series of small rallies. That's insane. I mean, that's, and, that and is Mitch absolutely McConnell ridiculous. Because all do whatever have, I say. Yeah. Yeah. Because Mitch McConnell is absolutely going to go for that. <laughs> but also... I mean, all all that really needs to happen on a federal level is for the president to order the, I think rescheduling it's the, or whatever. It's, it's the attorney general has to go and request from the Department of Health and Human Services that they reschedule marijuana down to like Class Low. C or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at that point, it becomes like a whole bunch of other procedural things kick in that mean that like federal agents are not going to be they're not going to be prioritizing like marijuana grow facilities or dispensaries or recreational shops or something like that you could more or less get rid of all federal drug enforcement just with a really simple <laughs> one 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 simple executive trick you know uh, the the big pharma lobby hates him that's wild. Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, he obviously never talks about that because he doesn't think that that's going to be a thing that's you know going to really move the needle, which we've talked about on the on the show before. It probably is not a thing that massively moves the needle in terms of who people are going to vote for. Has Mayor Pete ever consumed marijuana? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, right? There's no way. No way. No, there's no way. Maybe on accident one time, uh, and he told his mom right away. 
<laughs> I think he did. I think he did. Like it, it's. You think he's out there in Afghanistan, that's a, that's just like, like that's not got even a J a big, in one hand, AK in the other. That's not even a big deal anymore. Like any group of people that you could possibly associate with, like in college, somebody's gonna pass a joint around at some. Yeah, point, maybe. Right? I get. I forget that he's uh, he's only like what forty three or whatever. No, he's like <laughs> isn't he like thirty seven or thirty eight? He's barely older than we are. He looks like a fucking fifty 30, year old. God, he is thirty eight. Jesus Christ! I know, that dude. Is. That is disgusting. That's what I'm saying. Ugh. You know, I always said that I wanted like a younger uh, person to represent, but man, I regret it. <laughs> I regret it now. Well, I think part of the problem is in order to get to the level where you're running for president. He's the same age as Tulsi Gabbard. They're both 38. This, What is this? Oh, Why wild. is he the golden boy? And she's... Mm. What I'm saying is, I think in order to put yourself in a political position where you're able to run for president credibly at that age, you have to be one of those sort of uh, constructed in a vat, like Manchurian candidate sort of people. You know, that every single step of your life has been planned out since you were four years old or something. And it's like Beto O'Rourke, you know, that like the reason they call him Beto is because his dad knew that calling him Beto would be more electable when he eventually ran for office among Hispanic voters than if it, than if he went by Robert or Bob. And that, that was a decision that was made for Beto. That's why they call him at, Beto. At the age, at the at, age, at, at the age of, of like two or, or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's smart. It's smart. I mean, seriously, it's the, it, that's that's the same category as people who like groom kids for sexual abuse or for, uh, you know, it also kind of reminds me of those, um, like, uh, like preteen beauty pageant. Moms, I thought you were you know? going to say like tiger, tiger woods, golfing, or tiger whatever. woods, golfing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm um, Johnny Carson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Yep. Yeah, totally. Just, just terrifying. Like really we need, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to, be scrutinizing the way people parent around here like the that's the class of people we need to be looking at first because it it produces just the most dead-eyed you know the smiling man from transmetropolitan sort of like weird androids well uh you sound like you're ready for disney plus series the diary of a future president uh, about a young <laughs> latino girl uh whose dream is to be the president of the united states oh man is that is that real? Can we can we like crank an episode of that out right now? <laughs> right. <laughs> that is that is uh, amazingly one hundred percent real. Hopefully, uh, you know it will culminate in, in like you know five years from now in a series finale where she was like, "I've wasted my life doing this. Why? <laughs> Why have I done this to myself?" It's a cautionary tale. I think it would be great if if in the series finale she just loses to Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> That would be amazing. Well, what do you think, gentlemen? That that puts us right around the end of this this segment. We had a little bit more on uh, cops using facial recognition software in in Chicago. Oh, don't worry, that story is not going anywhere. Yeah. That'll be always topical. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, then I think it's time for us to take a break. And as always, we will spend the last segment uh, taking you out on a high note. Although you know, that's kind of a dumb pun when we just did. A whole big segment on marijuana in Chicago, but 
That's all right. Um, a lot of us will be sorting things out if the Democratic Party runs a socialist candidate. That's a change from the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party's been to the left of the Republican Party on the issue of mixed capitalism, more social programs. They push Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, enormously popular programs. I think uh, ACA Obamacare has also a wish to follow through with it and make it work. I think most Americans would be happy that have a public option and have Medicare uh, followed through with. But I, I don't want to get into you know, I'm on every night. I let the Democrats figure this out. I, I have my own views of the word socialist, and I'll be glad to tell them, share them with you in private. And they go back to uh, the early 1950s. I have an attitude about them. I remember the Cold War. I have an attitude towards Castro. I believe if Castro and the, and the, and the Reds had won the Cold War, there would have been executions in Central Park, and I might have been one of the ones getting executed. And certain other people would be there cheering, okay? So I have a problem with people who took the other side. An article just dropped from... CNN headline, Mitt Romney is now the head of the new old GOP. Oh, boy. (laughs) They're coming back. They're coming back, baby. They're coming back, all 10 of them, including all of the national voters who care about that. Do you think that this is like a, a Mitt Romney calculation to run for president in like 2024 or something like that? I could see it. Yeah. I mean, he's he obviously has his eye on higher office, right? Because he I mean, he moved to Utah to consolidate his support in Utah and try to run as the like the respectable, you know, I mean, this article is by Chris Eliza, who is a renowned jackass and just terrible, you know, political analyst. But there might be a bit of a grain of truth in it that, you know, Mitt Romney might be attempting to bring back anti-Trump conservatism. I'm not sure if that's going to work for him. In fact, I would I would I'd lay 50 bucks against. But he's going to run he's going to run for president in 2024 against Bernie Sanders and also against uh my bet is Dan Crenshaw with Nikki Haley as his vice president. <laughs> yeah. That primary is going to be wild. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Because if Mitt Romney does want to try to push to run, he's going to be running as like the anti-Trump. And so yep. it's going to be really fun to see the new Trump-aligned people and how many of them were just faking it. What's Ted Cruz going to do? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> He's obviously going to want to run again too, but is he going to run as I'm the, the successor to Trump? And and it also smacks of uh, like Joe Biden's strategy of just kind of constantly talking about how much he wants to work with Republicans. Like even on <laughs> even on the day that the the impeachment vote, even then he's out there going like, yeah, no, I, I still believe that that we could probably you know work with Republicans on substantive policy or whatever. So it's it's almost kind of a like a Republican flip side of that. It's like I believe that, you know, we can find the soul of this party and get back to, you know, the things that really matter. Like nobody fucking cares about the things that matter. They care about being mean and winning. I would like to present for your consideration a combined Mayor Pete Mitt Romney ticket. <laughs> oh no <laughs> Shit. 
Pete, Pete Romney, 2020. We've done it, everyone. Oh my! We God, have that's destroyed amazing. America once and for all. <laughs> it's unstoppable. It's an unstoppable coalition. I I love it. Somebody pantses Mayor Pete during that campaign, and it turns out that he wears the magical underwear. Also, <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna do it to swing the vote. Yeah, when are we gonna have our first truly strong Scientologist? candidate for president yeah what is tom cruise up to he needs to get in on this man right everybody hates both sides it's the perfect time for like a a tom cruise oprah candidacy you know if watchmen the comic taught us anything it's that people will pull together if we have a united front against some sort of outside threat uh and lord xenu seems like he could fill that role god could you imagine if President Tom Cruise fought off Xenu, who in this interpretation is like a an extra dimensional like Cthulhu type figure? Right. Yeah, that sounds great. Why is he not making that movie right now? He probably, yeah. he probably made that movie for Scientology, and we never get to see it because <laughs> right. we didn't give them two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, we're not we're not at the ah. right clear level to be able to enjoy that. I, I definitely have too many thetans to see that movie. <laughs> Speaking of parallel universes, here's my my high yeah. note for the week: the Iowa debacle was incredibly stressful, but it did it did lead to this fantastic tweet from uh, Space Noid Jackson at Head Falls Off. Great, great handle. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. So we take the number of voters and you divide by the number of delegates, compensating for viability threshold of 15%. Then we perform what's called a second alignment. But if you clip out of bounds on that exact frame, you do the caucus skip. Applause. <laughs> I think we have time for some donations. Uh, that's outstanding. It reminds me of that... Uh... That video of the guy who beats that one level in Mario 64 by just holding down the A button the whole time. And it goes into like the deep maths about oh, how beautiful. like Nintendo 64 like replicates the map over and over into an infinity. So you've got to like get in exactly the right spot and it like clips you over 64 maps and you're like one frame ahead Hell yeah. or something. That's how Pete Buttigieg plays the caucuses, man. He's not playing on the same level as you or I. Yeah, well, we knew that He's anyway. He's playing on an extra dimensional <laughs> level of caucuses. So that was fun. And I got my uh, podcast studio. It's looking fresh. It's not It's not quite as good as some professional podcast studios. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, it's getting there. I got some foamies on the wall. It's a good time. We didn't even talk about that on the show, but Jay is coming to us from what looks like, I mean, it, it, it looks like a professional, like, rap studio. It's like the one that Easy e was in, in, uh, like, straight out of Compton. Yeah, I'm I'm here to lay down uh, some sick bars. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's great to have access to, to uh, all of the amenities of a world-class educational institution. Uh, like uh, name redacted <laughs> here in the Chicago area. Well, I think it's fantastic. I mean, it, I think it's cool that they have the infrastructure to support that kind of thing for you to be able to join this tiny show that nobody cares about. No, it's, it, it looks like, you. I mean, you've got nicer gear than we do. Though, Brendan, I will say that your studio is looking fantastic lately, and I, I have yet to... Uh, tweet that that picture of what it's looking like right now. Mm, well, now we have to. Is, We're on the hook. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yours is considerably nicer than mine now. I think uh, I get away with not having a whole lot of echo in my room because my room is very small and mostly covered with books. I want you to staple egg cartons 
to all of your walls. Start collecting yeah, okay. the egg cartons now. <laughs> well, I'll go next on my, my high note. I actually had two, but they're pretty brief. Uh, the first one was I wanted to clue everybody in that um, Chuck, our former co-host on Liquid Flannel, who's now doing a Farmers League podcast, and I were recently invited on the podcast of an old friend of the show, Nestor, yeah. from Omaha, doing the uh, the Black Banner Magic podcast uh, to talk about the very strange drone sightings in eastern Nebraska or western Nebraska and eastern Colorado. I heard it was Super mass fun. hysteria. Uh, yeah, there was, there was never happened. Uh, there was a great amount of uh, hysteria. It. I think we finally came down on the side of it absolutely happened, and Vice News was doing some incredibly sloppy reporting, which, whoa, what a surprise, Vice News doing sloppy reporting. But um, It's, it's yeah, almost like anyway, they just was, want the clicks, and they don't even care. We, we had a really fun discussion with Nestor, and the, the whole drone thing is, is pretty interesting. I, I think people who are interested in black site deep state sort of conspiracy sort of stuff might be interested in that so so keep an eye out we'll for sure send that out on the on the show twitter and then the other thing was that uh i had a tweet go kind of semi-viral the night of the iowa caucuses and for the first time ever when I plugged Liquid Flannel, we actually picked up a whole bunch of new followers on Twitter from that tweet. So, yeah, we went for it. it I don't know. We got like 300 new followers on the Dang. on the Liquid Flannel account, which is cool. Hopefully, some of those people will follow up and become actual listeners of the show. So, I just wanted to say thank you, people who got pissed off about the Iowa caucuses and now want to listen to our show. You are very welcome. You've made uh, the right choice. You you have made the right choice. I, I hope you enjoy the program, and we'll we'll try to continue to bring that bemused outrage to you through the show that I had uh, in the tweet that brought you here. So yeah, those are my high notes. How about you, Jay? What do you got for a high note for us to to round this episode out? Well, I will say if you are one of those new listeners, definitely don't start with this episode with me Bullshit. on it. Uh, you know, go back and uh, find one of the ones with Ken Klippenstein or, uh, you know, Adam H. Johnson, one of the, one of those guys. I guess if you've reached Bullshit, this point. That's, that's <laughs> those episodes are trash. Don't listen to them. Yeah. This is the only one that's good. You've been terrific. We've recorded fucking six episodes with Jordan Yule. We could only release three of them because he fucks up his recording every <laughs> single time. <laughs> There's there's an entire lost episode of Ken Klippenstein because Ken didn't know he was supposed to be recording his own tracks. We just had to scrap the thing. Ah, the mythical well, lost Klippenstein I mean, episode. <laughs> right. oh, there's so yeah, many. Jay there's came, so many. Jay came to us like with a professional podcasting studio. He's got he he's recording on his computer and he's recording on the school's computer. He's he's more prepared than these other guys that have like. 180,000 followers on Twitter to make sure that this thing works. So really, you're better than they are. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, <laughs> so real quick for a high note, I do want to shout out my lovely and talented fiance who had a job interview earlier this week and would definitely appreciate some good vibes being sent her way in, in hopes that uh, she gets this job that uh, nice. we're, we're really excited about. It's a great opportunity. The job is head of the uh, Iowa Democratic Party. It's just become available. Uh, yeah, it's just opened up. Just opened up. Uh, so my so my high note is uh, earlier this week, I uh, had a chance to see the sun for the first time in uh, probably about 12 days or so. 
Here comes um, so that was a, a great kind of mood booster yeah. for me. We've had a run of real bad weather here. It's the end of the end of so seasonal just, affective disorder. I saw the sun and it is gone again now. I, I again have not seen the sun in, in four or right. five days now, but uh, just that one day where I got to go outside and get some vitamin D. Yeah was a real great part of my week. What you're saying is you feel that ice is slowly melting. You're saying that it feels like years <laughs> since it's been here. That's like a, that's These are these are Beatles quotes. Nobody I've got a theory about seasonal affective disorder that seasonal affective disorder isn't actually not not a bug in people's cognition. It's a feature of human cognition and the thing that turns it into a pathology is capitalism. So here's here's the theory, right? We, like pretty much every other living thing, go into a period of sort of dormancy and senescence during the winter months. But because we live under capitalism, we live in a society after all, we are still required to show up for work for the same amount of hours. In fact, a lot of work gets done during the deepest part of the of the winter. That's when the fiscal years flip over. It's when people start having to get all the paperwork together for taxes and stuff like that. Our energy drops naturally, but our workload increases and it just makes everybody feel shitty and feel depressed when really there's nothing wrong with you for having seasonal effective whatever. Everybody's affected by the seasons. We should do all that work in the summer when everybody's high energy and stop pathologizing people who maybe got an instinct to kind of just hunker down and take a little time off work, read a book, sit under a fuzzy blanket, drink some hot cocoa. So you're you're coming out as anti-summer vacation. I see. <laughs> who I see gets summer vacation except little wow. kids, though? Well, that's a they good... get breaks during the fucking winter, too. I always wonder what it's like to like live in that city from uh, from like Alaska where it's like many multiple weeks of like of no sunlight no and then sunlight. in the summer it's um, multiple weeks of no darkness i think i lose my mind yeah and then the va- I, all the vampires come out like i think in there's that movie. no mystery as to why people who live in alaska are just slightly unhinged just ready to elect sarah palin at a moment's notice right yeah totally because <laughs> everybody's fucking sleep deprived or mike gravel oh it's great yeah gravel oh was gravel from alaska yeah Mike Gravel never did come on the show. The, the Gravel teens did us dirty. They big leagued us. Yeah, well, you know that's what happens when uh, you know you're you're starting your think tank. Um, you know you don't have you don't have time for the for the podcasts right. out there. Well, Jay, I, I, I'll say it's, it has been uh, a real pleasure to have you on the show. I'm so glad that you reached out to us. Way better than Gravel. Way better. Yeah, <laughs> listeners wouldn't have gotten a, an insight into this, but. Um, we, we made some tweet on the liquid flannel account and Jay said, Hey, bring me on the show. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's do that. And yeah, when, when's that going to happen? Maybe in the next couple of months. And I was like, I don't have anyone scheduled for a week from Thursday. So how about then? Let's just do do it it. then. Rogue podcasting. (laughs) No, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, especially since apparently you're a fan of the show. You told me something very nice on the, on the phone. I'm going to make you say it again on the show. I will say that this is uh, the only leftist politics and pop culture podcast that I listen to. That is a, that is a, that is um, wild. Sir. I didn't believe him when he said it. But, oh. <laughs> is that uh, did I choose poorly? Oh no, you one? made the right choice. It just surprises. I'm us. almost there myself. I'm, I've, been, I've been cutting <laughs> them down. <laughs> 
And, you know, no disrespect to those other podcasts out there. Um, but uh, the liquid flannel just gives me everything that I need mm. from a podcast. Well, it was, it was a deeply felt compliment. And also, I'm glad that we were able to make it up to you by getting you on the show. It's been a lot of fun to have you. Yeah, it's been a real hoot. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, totally. Is there anything that you'd like to plug while you're here before we wrap up? Uh, you follow me on Twitter at 2GeneVDabs. 2GeneVDabs. I fucked that up, didn't I? Yeah, because yeah, you got banned, right? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, you said my, uh, oh. my uh, somebody else's account. I don't know if Twitter is listening right, to yeah, this, yeah, but yeah. Uh, that other one was uh, somebody else's somebody account. Somebody else's account. No relation to at two gene <laughs> the dabs and uh, also be on the lookout for the uh, institute for christian socialism that's a project that's uh, going to be getting off the ground very soon here uh, they have a twitter uh, account that you can follow i google uh, institute for christian socialism oh dope are you uh, are you involved with them some of the some of the people that i that i work with and i go to school with are uh, are on that project it'd be great to keep in touch with you and uh, maybe we can talk to them once their once their project uh, kind of gets the their feet under them yeah right now they're uh, they're they're kind of in the fundraising stage and and hopefully going to be launching a, a magazine and a, and a couple of other things to, to look out for ambitious and all we ever did was just start a twitter account Buy a SoundCloud <laughs> subscription. Yeah, this website's looking sick. ChristianSocialism.com. Nice. Damn, that is nice. Wow, they got ChristianSocialism.com? That's a get. I mean, in terms of uh, like a URL. Well, Jay, it's, it, again, it's been it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Um, everybody who is listening to this program right now, uh, you know that you can follow us on Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. Uh, if you'd like, we do bonus episodes every week uh, in theory. Um, you can follow that. Uh, you can get access to those uh, at our Patreon, patreon.com slash liquidflannelpod. Uh, it's always just an extended conversation, usually with the guests that we have on the program. Um, and if you're interested in that, uh, please, you know, it's uh, it's cheap. We don't have tiers. It's just whatever you want to give us. So, you know, a buck a month would be great. Uh, you can follow me. I'm Matthew Hodges on Twitter at... Matt the Great with the W and my co-host Brendan Williams is also on Twitter. I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. I think you should change your Twitter bio to the Rush Limbaugh of the Left. The Rush Limbaugh I think, of the Left. I think that should that's that's your new brand. <laughs> okay. Um, you're welcome. Yeah, my uh, my bio does need an update. It's been kind of kind of stale for a while. So all right, maybe I'll do that. All right, everybody. Thank you again, Jay. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, listeners. We will see you next week. 